Find other great podcasts like this one at podmoth.network. Welcome to the Brutal, Bizarre, and Boozy podcast. I'm Declan, the son. And I'm Jane, the mom. This is the podcast where we talk about brutal crimes, bizarre occurrences, and get you drunk with cocktails themed around one of our stories. To lighten things up, we'd like to end our time with a chaser. Please keep in mind some of our stories might be upsetting to young or sensitive ears. We love hearing from our listeners, so feel free to contact us by email or social media. You can find our contact info in the show notes for this episode. If you'd like to support us through Patreon, you can find us there at Brutal, Bizarre, and Boozy Podcast, or use the link in our show notes. Welcome to the Getting Down and Wordy Podcast ad. What do we do on this podcast? Well, it's the first at a musical podcast. Can you try that again in real words so that people can understand? Fine. We talk about the intersection of popular music and language. Oh, can we also talk about Eurovision? Okay. Find us on Apple and Spotify. We are a Podmoth Network podcast. Well, Declan, what story do you have for us today? I have the story of Chalino Sanchez. He's a, a... narco corrido. Oh. a singer. Interesting. Okay. And I know that I'm doing a bizarre one, so that must be a brutal one. Yes. Okay. What's your story? I'm going to be telling you about the Hatton Garden Heist, which is a, it was a big uh, burglary that happened in uh, London several years ago. So, and my drink to go with that is called the grumpy old man. And I'll explain a little bit why later. Um, But the grumpy old man is two ounces of bourbon, one ounce fresh squeezed lime juice and ginger ale. You combine the bourbon and lime juice in an old fashioned glass with ice. And then you top off with ginger ale. Not too complicated. Hopefully it tastes delicious. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Pretty good. I think I accidentally added too much lime juice, but it's very tasty. Oh, I don't know. I'm on the fence. I'm going to have to keep sampling it. So I think I did more than an ounce of lime juice. (laughs) Oh, it's very limey. I measured mine, and it's it's puckery, for sure. <laughs> I could probably stand a little bit more ginger ale. I think I went a little light on the ginger ale. I think I would like it if it had more in there, but it's not great, but it's not terrible. So all it tastes is lime. So I I love lime. So it's not not bad for mm. me. I get the bourbon. I get the bourbon for sure. I don't taste any bourbon in there. Oh, it's just lime. Also, free ho- freehand poured that too, so it's probably more than oh, the two yeah. ounces that I called for. But that lime juice is just kicking my ass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> did you use fresh squeezed, or did you do a bottle of lime juice? A bottle. Of course. I'm lazy. <laughs> See, that's just I, I, I don't like the bottles. Uh, I don't like the prepackaged lime juice because it's so 
it almost has a chemical taste to it, I think. So that's why I go with the actual. Oh, the lime juice I bought is, I think it's like two ingredients. It's like water and lime concentrate. So, oh, it it Uh, doesn't have a bunch of like citric acid and stuff in it. But yeah, that's usually what you find in those. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get your eyes water in here soon. (laughs) All right, tell us about this grumpy old man. Okay. Well, it's about the heist. And you know that I love heist movies. I love to watch them. Anything to do with heists. Those are like my favorite things. I love watching like the whole planning process. Um, I would hate to be a victim of a massive theft, but I do tend to root for the thieves. You know, I love Ocean's Eleven and Twelve and blah, blah, blah. All of the, you know, the good stuff. The movies tend to show younger teams of thieves, you know, in their 20s, 30s, often people who are physically agile and flexible and things like that. But this heist um, was not committed by young people, thus the name The Grumpy Old Man Cocktail. Um, Any heist could be committed by somebody of any age. So this heist. Uh, occurred in Hatton Garden, which is an area of London in 2015. And it proved that a heist could be done by elderly people. The Hatton Garden is, it's a street in the Camden Borough located in the inner region of London. It's a commercial area that is home to London's jewelry quarter and is home of the diamond trade in the UK. There are over 90 shops and 300 businesses that deal with jewels in this area. Underground is interesting because there is an extensive tunnel system containing offices, workshops, and vaults. The area development dates back to 1659 with the first streets being arranged and housing being established. About 20 years after the borough first began, significant crimes were occurring. A wealthy man was robbed at gunpoint when almost two dozen men arrived at the house claiming to have a search warrant and needing to look for dangerous people. Several men were hanged for that the following month for the crime. In July 1993, a major theft occurred in Hatton Garden. At that time, it was London's biggest gem heist when seven million pounds worth of gems were stolen from the jeweler Graf Diamonds. So they were still hanging people in the 90s in Britain? No, no, no. No, that was that was sixteen. Oh, I'm sorry, eighteen fifty nine. Okay, eighteen fifty nine. They were hanging people. But then I did not know they were still hanging people. (laughs) Other than Saddam, they do wild stuff (laughs) in London, man. Uh, No, the next that was eighteen fifty nine, and then the next one was in nineteen ninety three when Graf Diamonds was. robbed and they um seven million pounds worth of gems were stolen that equates to 14.3 million pounds in today's money and in u.s currency that would be 18.2 million dollars 
Oh, pounds is in currency. I thought you meant like yes. weight pounds. No, I was like, no British pounds. That many millions of pounds out of the jewelry. <laughs> Diamonds don't weigh that much. What the fuck they stealing? Oh, oh. They stole the whole store. Yeah. Yep. Good point. Good point. Yeah, they they picked up the construction of the the building yeah, itself. Right by the foundation. Yeah. Huh. I should have been a little bit more specific, but now you know. <laughs> Because we're going to say that, I'm going to say that a few more times about the pounds. So, (laughs) British pounds. (sighs) Although this was a huge number in 1993 and certainly an equally large number now, there was potentially an even bigger heist that occurred in 2015. The 2015 heist occurred at an underground safe deposit facility owned by Hatton Garden Safe Deposit Limited. Items stolen from the safe deposit boxes included cash, jewels, gold, and platinum bars, as well as other precious metals. The true value of the theft has been disputed. Official court documents reported the theft at 14 million pounds or 18.4 million pounds in today's values, but those values reported of the stolen property could have been as high as 200 million pounds or about 263 million pounds today. And today's U.S. currency, that's about $334 million. Yeah, that's a lot, which I would love to have. So if anybody wants to donate and give us $334 million, we will happily accept it. Yes. Out of the original... Yeah, out of the original 14 million pounds, only about 4.3 million pounds of the stolen property was ever recovered. Here's how it all went down in 2015. On Thursday, April 2nd, the safe deposit facility was locked at the end of the day for a long four-day weekend. Which I will say, as a side note, Easter weekend in London is four days and we maybe get an extra day off. And when you go to a store on Sunday, on Easter Sunday, it's often closed, but we don't get Friday and Monday off. You can even get Easter off. (laughs) Sometimes you don't. Exactly. So it was a four day uh, Easter weekend. Many of the businesses in the area were closed for the holiday. CCTV Footage for from a neighboring business showed a team of men arrived that night dressed like workmen and wearing dusk masks to cover their faces. One of the men had keys to a fire escape door. This man had a very distinct way of walking with one leg rotated out at the toe. The fire escape door is how they gained access to the building. So he's walking with like a, a pigeon foot. Is that what they call it? Or no, pigeon feet, is or like... in. So Charlie Chaplin, Uh, like one of his legs, the would toe out when he walked. Okay. So like his heels were together. Then, if pigeon is inward, kind of inward. I don't know. I just remember like pigeon. I think was together. Um, The fire escape door is how they gained access to the building. Several men rolled in trash cans. About nine hours later. The men could be seen in the camera footage leaving empty-handed. The team returned the next night. The CCTV footage later showed men leaving on the morning of April 5th and carrying out large, heavy bags. What wasn't seen by cameras 
was that the thieves went down into an elevator shaft adjacent to the safe deposit vault. Using an industrial power drill, they drilled through the 20-inch thick reinforced concrete walls surrounding the vault. An alarm was triggered after midnight on April 3rd. So basically the first night, there was an alarm triggered. But the security officer inspected the outside of the vault and didn't see anything. So he didn't call the police. The alarm company didn't call the police. The security officer went back. He looked down. He's like, everything looks fine. The exterior of the vault is closed as it should be. So nothing happened. With no external signs of entry, the burglary wasn't discovered until Tuesday, April 7th. Such a massive theft meant one of the top branches of the London Metropolitan Police Service, also known as Scotland Yard, was assigned. That team was the Flying Squad. I love the name, the Flying Squad. And as I was writing this, I kept wanting to say Flying Squirrel instead of Flying Squad. But it's the Flying Squad. They are so designated the, like the secret service of England is called the Scotland Yard. Is that what I'm understanding? No. So London Metropolitan Police Service is also known as Scotland Yard. And so basically, if you think about like okay. any police department has like a robbery homicide division or they'll have like white collar crimes division, the flying squad is designated to work with organized and serious crimes so like organized crime kind of stuff and big burglaries and you know they're the fancy fancy detectives and they're a division of scotland yard make sense Police were frustrated to find that the hard drive for the vault's many cameras had been stolen by the thieves. But the Hatton Garden area was has over 120 other cameras that could be used by law enforcement. Investigators worked around the clock watching endless hours of CCTV footage from businesses nearby. They were surprised to see the men and the team appeared older than they had expected. Um, they weren't sure if they were wearing disguises or really were older. The lead that helped them the most was identifying a distinct looking Mercedes sedan on the camera footage. Two of the members of the team were seen getting into the vehicle a couple of hours before the break-in on the second night. They were able to determine the owner of the vehicle, a man named John Collins. Once Collins was identified, investigators spent time monitoring him and his actions. So they put him under surveillance and they were watching him. They were watching everybody that he met with, everybody he talked with, things like that. They were able to observe him meeting with several other men and get audio surveillance confirmation of their involvement in the heist. So these guys are getting together and talking about their heist and they catch it on the bugs that they have placed around where they're meeting. And they're oh, like, God. you know, reliving their, oh my gosh, can you believe that we got away with this and we did this and we did that. So after six weeks of investigating, the flying squad started making arrests. The suspects ages ranged from 42 to 76 years old, and they all had extensive criminal histories. Thus the grumpy old man cocktail. The police yeah. were able to recover some of the stolen items when the men were arrested, but a lot of it was not found and is still unaccounted for to this day. Eight men were charged with conspiracy to burgle. 
The men charged for the crime were Terry Perkins, 67 years old, Hugh Doyle, 48 years old, William Lincoln, 59 years old, John Collins, 74 years old. He was the one who had the vehicle that they identified. Brian Reeder, 76 years old, Carl Wood, 58, Daniel Jones, 58 years old, and John Harbinson, 42 years old. Although these members of the team were identified, the man with the keys and the odd walk was not. By October of that year, four of the men had confessed and pleaded guilty to the theft. Jones was one of the men who pleaded guilty. He was briefly released under armed police supervision to lead them to his portion of the goods. He had buried it in a North London cemetery. So he he's in jail and he says, if you want my part of the... If you want my stash, you got to let me out so I can show you where it was. So they let him out under armed guard and watched him and then went and dug it up. The other four men went to trial in November 2015. According to the prosecution, the team planned this heist over a period of three years. The trial concluded in the beginning of February 2016. Three were convicted while one of the four was cleared of all the charges. Throughout the process of the investigation of the trial, Theories of who was the mastermind behind the heist changed. Theories included the first four who pleaded guilty, then transferred to the men who went on trial. Ultimately, though, it, it kind of came back around thinking the guy that got away was the one that had masterminded it all. Jones claimed that the man who unlocked the fire escape was previous a policeman who had become a security guard, which seemed like a plausible idea considering that he apparently had knowledge of the vault and he had those keys that allowed them into the building. The mystery man was known to the team only by his codename, Basil, or as pronounced in Europe, Basil. You pick. Tomato, tomato. Based on the CCTV footage, investigators noticed that Basil had a distinctive walk, but they had no idea who he was. And all of the other team members were like, we only know him as Basil. We can't tell you who he is. We don't know. For a while, it was believed that Basil had left the country, but three years later, he was finally identified as Michael Seed. Experts in gait analysis identified Seed as having the same gait seen on the cameras the night of the theft. His unusual walk was due to an accident decades before that left him with pins in his right leg. He was arrested around two miles away from Hatton Garden with some of the stolen items. So he did not flee the country. He was 54 years old at the time of burglary. Seed was an electronics expert and a reported jewelry worker. He was also described as an alarm specialist. His trial concluded in 2019 with a conviction for conspiracy to burgle as well as conspiracy to hide the proceeds. And this was labeled as the biggest heist in London at the time. Sadly, much of the stolen property is still missing. But it was because four people, right? It was eight total people, but it was eight total people that went to prison for it. But on there were differing amounts of people at the facility on the two nights that the robbery that the burglary occurred. So they and because stole it's, like 30 million, right? Well, they stole. Okay. Here's the thing. 
it's a safe deposit box facility and not everybody knows or says and reports what was in their safe deposit box. So if you had, if you're DB Cooper and you have $200,000 from a plane hijacking and you put it in a safe deposit box, you're not going to, and that safe deposit box gets stolen. You're not going to go, well, it had $200,000 in it because I stole it from something else. So they really don't know. They think anywhere from 14 to 200 million British pounds could have been stolen, but they really don't have a hard number because nobody knows exactly what was in those boxes. Well, if I had a safety deposit box and it happened to get stolen, I would tell the bank that I had $400 million in there. So. Exactly. <laughs> so did you or Maybe did you not? Maybe they only stole That's... $1 million, but... Right. That well, is part of the problem. Because if there's that many people and they stole that much money, that would be the first thing I, I'd flee the country. That's the first thing I'd do. With all that fucking money you have, get out of there. Yeah. Because even if they don't find you in the first day or two, they're going to find you eventually, I feel. So why not yeah. just go somewhere else that they can't extradite you? Right. Exactly. Argentina or something. Somewhere. Well, tell me your brutal story. Okay. So, our story begins on August 30th, 1960, in the small town of Las Flechas, Sinaloa, Mexico. Rosalano uh, Chalino Sanchez, his first name was Rosalano, but he went by Chalino. Uh, he was born into the world of hardship and adversity. Growing up in poverty and witnessing the brutality of the drug trade firsthand. Young Chilino was already learning life's harsh, le life's harsh lessons. Ugh, sorry about that. Old, grump old grumpy man has got me slur my words. <laughs> At just 15, tragedy struck when his older brother was murdered, sparking a chain of events that would define his destiny. Fueled by a mix of grief and determination, Chalino began writing and performing corridos, which are traditional Mexican ballads. These often recount uh, stories of violence, love, and other experiences that he's had. But the so the main thing he would sing is narco corridos, which are they're like songs about um certain members of cartels so like if there's a head boss like el chapo or something mm -hmm. he probably has a narco corrido about his entire um like basically describing like what he's done and like why he's such a good guy so it was such make a good sense guy there's yes yeah, so they're usually okay. like promoting a Oh. a cartel member so if okay. there's another cartel that's opposing them and they hear this song they don't really like it. that you, 
That makes sense, right? Okay. See, I was thinking they were writing stories that were like, oh, he's such a bad guy. And then the bad guy would be like, I don't want you writing songs about me and I'm going to kill you because you wrote a song about me. Well, I think that is, there are some narco credos like that, but most, like most narco credos are, are written in good senses of, I don't even really know how to word it right, but they're like written in. It's their publicist. Reverence. In reverence to like a narco. So like, if you have a song that's about, oh, this guy's such a good guy. And then the opposite cartel hears it. They're not going to think that guy's such a good guy, which will come into contact later. Okay. So in the 1980s, uh, Chilino's gritty and authentic corridos were capturing the hearts of listeners across Mexico and United States, mostly California. He would make trips over here and do concerts, stuff like that. Okay. Uh, His music spoke to the realties of the streets. His unique blend of raw emotions and storytelling catapulted him into cult status. And it wasn't long before he became the voice of the marginalized and disenfranchised. Yet with fame came controversy. Cholino's songs often treaded the line between glorifying criminality and highlighting the struggles of his community. Again, he's glorifying these narcos who have done Obviously horrible things, but he right. was still glorifying them. He's still making them sound like critics good argued guys. that his music perpe- uh, critics argued that his music perpetuated a culture of violence, while supporters maintained that he was simply shedding light on the darker corners of society. Now let's fast forward to the evening of May fifteenth, nineteen ninety two. Chilino Sanchez was heading, headlining a concert in Culiacan, Sinaloa. Little did he know this would be his final performance. As he took the stage, armed men entered the venue. They gave Sanchez a note that many believed warned him about singing and threatened his life if he didn't stop. Sanchez read the note and immediately turned pale. Because there's, there's video of this performance and exactly when he got the note. So you can see someone approach the stage. They hand him a small piece of paper folded up. He opens it up and reads it and then immediately turns pale and gets obviously super nervous. Like you can tell like whatever he read on that note, he did not want to read. Right. He continued with his concert. And the next day on May 16th, 1992... Chalino's lifeless body was discovered by the side of the road. He had been brutally murdered. The victim of a cruel and tragic end. The exact circumstances of his death remain shrouded in mystery, but it's believed that his songs and outspoken nature drew a powerful figure, drew in powerful figures within the criminal underworld. And while it's never been confirmed, many people believe that it was because uh, he. At this concert, he was mostly singing Narcos Credos. Instead of just normal songs, he was singing songs about the cartel because he was in Culiacan, Sinaloa, which is like a a hub for the Sinaloa cartel. So 
he may have been singing of a different narco, which upset the Sinaloa cartel. And oh, yeah. So after the concert, they ended up kidnapping. Well, it's not confirmed yet. It it's suspected that after he got out of the concert, he was immediately kidnapped and killed. So no one knows what the note says specifically, but a lot of people believed it was a warning saying you're going to die if you don't stop singing Mm. about this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just really eerie to see the video and then know exactly Ah, what happened afterwards. But you can find the video out there for everyone who's curious. Curious. Yeah, curious. You just look up Chalina Sanchez uh, Sanchez. Death Note video and it'll probably Wow. I guess the moral of the story is don't write music about He was uh, super famous too. Like I mean, obviously we haven't heard of him because he sings Spanish songs and we don't speak Spanish, but No, I don't. He was a very famous singer. So it was weird that he was able to get killed. That's scary. Yeah. I'm just going to stay away from cartels. How's that sound? Oh, uh, by the time this is coming out, it, it'll be a couple weeks after, but a little pre-chaser, non-chaser. Uh, came out yesterday, I want to say, the news article, but five teenagers, well, not teenagers, sorry, uh, 18 to 20-year-olds were yeah. kidnapped off of a fake killed. job posting. Yeah. yeah. So the I saw that I too. read some it was more awful. into it and the cartel posted the fake job offering and it was like it's like no experience needed and make six figures a year or whatever. It's like right. unusually high amount of money and then they were using that to try and recruit and the people who wouldn't join them they killed. So yeah, that's really sad. You should do that as a, an episode in the future. Yeah, I think we're going to have to wait a while to get the full details of the story because it just broke yesterday. Yeah, yeah, yeah but, for sure. I wouldn't yeah, call that a chaser because that's a downer. Yeah, non-chaser chaser. It, I'm gonna, it's after I'll, our stories, I'll, but it's not good. Right, <laughs> but it's not good. So we need a good... Okay, let's go into real chasers. Yeah, tell us real, real chasers. chasers. Okay, my real chaser is the We Rate Dogs account on Instagram. Have you seen that? It Mm -hmm. is like the cutest. They post pictures and videos of dogs. And then they rate them on a scale of 1 to 10. And they're like, some of the dogs have outfits on. And some of the dogs are doing silly stuff. And some of them are, um, you know, just super cute puppies. And all the dogs are rated like way over like 14 out of 10. I've never seen one that's <laughs> under 10 because dogs are freaking cute. I mean, come on. But it is the cutest account with and it just is so happy and fun. And they have some really adorable things. So go check it out. Sweet. What's your chaser? I have a, I have a real chaser too, not just a. Depressing one, but depressing. I got this new game called Stray. 
Stray. It, yeah, it came out on PlayStation, but it just recently came out for Xbox too. But it's you play as a stray cat in a dystopian society where there's no oh. more humans left. It's only robots, and there's like oh, these no. little creatures that eat the robots, so you have to protect them. Like you're just a stray cat, like running around killing <laughs> these little like bug things. <laughs> it's pretty fun. I I like it. It's okay. The art in it is really cool, and I don't know, the whole concept of it, because there's been, like, stray cat games before, but not, like, ones with, like, a real story. You, like, there's been ones where you just mess around as a stray cat, but this one, like, like, you have a real story and stuff. It's pretty. Oh, my gosh. I haven't beat it yet, though. I think there might be humans left, but I I haven't gotten that far in the game yet. So it's pretty fun, though. That is funny. Do robot? I would assume robots don't give a shit about cats, and robots well, aren't taking care of the cats. They haven't seen a cat before, so they're like, "What the fuck? Are you, what are you?" Because oh, I think, yeah, the enemies that you kill are called like Zorgs or something like that, and they're like, "Oh, you don't look like a Zorg. You're fluffy." <laughs> so like, that's all true. the robots are weird, just weird around you because they've never seen a cat before. So it's it's a pretty funny game. I like it. That's hilarious. You'll have to show it to me next time well, we come visit. Yeah. I, you might like it. You don't know you don't play that many games, but... I don't. I it's haven't not like played a hard game at all. a long you just... time. I have a... Before we sign off for the day, I wanted to read a recent Apple review um, from... It looks like Capinora. I'm going to... Sorry, Captain Captain Aurora, maybe. I don't know. I just appreciate <laughs> that no one's going to kill me over mispronouncing that. But um, Or maybe they will. I don't know. That's fine. Um, but this was uh, recent that said, I just love this mom and son duo. They do such a great job of sharing stories from true crime to just plain weird stuff, all with a cocktail background. Love making a cocktail with them and settling in for a bizarre tale. So thank you to Captain Aurora. Yes, thank you. Sorry and about anybody else who wants name, to but... leave us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sorry. I finished my grumpy old man cocktail and I think that my tongue is asleep. So sorry. <laughs> but it was a good cocktail. I've changed my mind. I don't hate it now. It's it's decent. I like it. I can taste the bourbon in it. So, and I don't hate bourbon. Bourbon's good. I think it's my favorite. But yeah, it just about wraps us up, right? We don't need to. It does bullshit. It wraps us up. <laughs> We're good. All right. Well, I enjoyed hearing uh, that high story. is pretty cool. Yeah. Don't normally hear old people doing shit like that. Nope. All right. I love you, Mom. Love you too, bud. Bye. Hey, friends. Thank you for supporting our podcast. Please share our show with your brutal and bizarre friends. Give us a boozy follow on your favorite podcast platform. If you're feeling extra generous, we'd appreciate a five-star rating or review as well. But maybe do that sober so all the letters are in the right place. You can find all our contact information in the show notes. 
We love hearing from you, and if you're interested in helping us stock the bar for our future boozy episodes, you can find our Patreon link in the show notes as well.